Let's pray for Chris. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this man of God, this gentle and humble man who hears your voice. Thank you for the preparation time you gave him. And we pray now that you'll speak to us through him by your spirit. Amen. Amen. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Wow. That's not a great start, is it? What was it that so wound up Paul that he wrote the Corinthians like that? In, in the passage that we have, Paul talks about divisions in the church at Corinth. He talks about the Lord's judgment on some of the people in that church. And also, he records the very words of Jesus as Jesus spoke at the Last Supper. So I want to look at some of those problems that Paul is identifying and for us to consider, well, how might that apply to us in Holy Trinity? And also to encourage us in the wonderful mystery of that thing that we call communion. Now, we have to recognize, and this, this is a difficult passage, and there are some tensions in this passage, and, and that's okay. Um, I want us to bear something in mind going through this. This table that we have behind us, the communion table, this table is a table of grace, not a table of condemnation. So tensions are okay. Before we start to look at what Paul was so incensed about, just to review the, the background, the situation he was writing into. So Paul had spent about 18 months in Corinth, around about 50, 51 AD, something like that. He'd already written them one letter we read about in 1 Corinthians 5. Then he's in, in Ephesus and he hears some disturbing reports uh, about difficulties in the church in Corinth. And he writes back to them again, the letter that we have as 1 Corinthians. He's probably writing that in about 53 or 54 AD, just 20 years or so since Jesus died. The church in Corinth, like other first century churches, would have met in private houses. They'd left the synagogues and they were worshipping in, in private homes. Communal meals were an important part of both Jewish and pagan religious celebrations. And it seems that the early Christians followed a similar pattern. And when they had the Lord's Supper, that was part of a larger meal, like a, a big bring and share kind of community meal. And already it seems at this early stage in the development of the church, the Lord's Supper was a really important part of their worship. And yet something had already gone very, very wrong in Corinth in the way that they were doing that. Being made welcome, and the opposite in fact, not being welcome, are really powerful things, aren't they? I remember, this is many years ago, back in London, I was invited to the home of somebody I didn't know very well. It was a small party. And he said, would you like a drink? Would you like a whiskey? I love whiskey. I said, yeah, great. Thank you. That would be lovely. And he opened this cupboard and he took out a bottle of old special malt whiskey. I thought, great. And he poured one for himself. He put the bottle back and he got out a cheaper blended whiskey and he gave that to me. 
it's true. How do you think I felt? Give me some quick words. How did I feel? Gutted. Yeah, I was. Yeah, absolutely. Not welcome. I didn't feel welcome. You know, I, I felt. You know, I, I felt that I wasn't being treated as a guest should be treated. I wasn't being made welcome. I wasn't worthy. I felt inferior. I was also quite annoyed. <laughs> and and I didn't go back to that house again. Imagine. Okay, so imagine that you're in Corinth. Uh, you're in a courtyard, packed with people. Inside the house in the dining room, people have already eaten. There are lovely smells of food drifting through the air. You can hear excited chatter. There's singing. Someone's had quite a bit to drink already. You've rushed to the meeting straight from work. You've brought just a little bit of food, all that you had to share. The people around you didn't have much food either. And then the leader starts to pray. And you're already feeling hungry and you're tired and you feel rejected. And that's what so angered Paul, that he said, look, when you're meeting together, you're not celebrating the Lord's Supper. He's already written earlier on about divisions in that church, hasn't he? He wrote about their personality cults, how some people followed Apollos, some people followed Paul and so on. And then they were divided about the way that they treated food that had been offered to idols. And then here in this chapter, we've got another division along sociological lines between people who had plenty and people who did not have enough. And they were doing that to such an extent that Paul says, you're despising the church of God. Can we ask that difficult question of ourselves then, turn it around, here in Holy Trinity, who are the people perhaps that we don't treat equally here? Who perhaps might not feel so welcome here? A couple of years ago, I don't know if you remember, John Morris dressed up as a homeless person in lots of old baggy clothes and came into church. Um, I don't know how welcome he felt You can ask them about that. Along with others from Holy Trinity, I go to St. Andrew's on a Wednesday lunchtime to Foxhill Focus and have lunch there with some extraordinary people and hear their amazing stories of lives very different to mine. Recently, a guy came for lunch. Um, He's really struggling with alcohol addiction. He was unkempt. His clothes were torn and dirty. He was unwashed. He had his two-litre bottle of Frosty Jack cider that he tried to hide under the table. And yet I think he felt at home there. But I wonder if he would feel at home here. I mean, I hope he would. But it's a question, isn't it? People who are different to us, would they be at home here? Because you see, we're a covenant people. And by that I mean that God has chosen us. So God said to me, I choose you. And he said to you, I choose you. And I choose you. And I choose you. God has chosen us so that we're a covenant community. My relationship is not just with God, but with those others whom God has chosen with me. I've not chosen you lot to be in relationship with. God has chosen you. And God has chosen people very different to me. 
people with different political views, people in different types of, uh, type, types of life, different countries, different languages. We're all very different. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, because we all share of the one loaf, he's talking about communion again, when we share communion together, because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body because we all partake of the, one's loaf, of the one loaf. So the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, whatever you want to call it, is a community meal where all should feel welcome, where all are equal in God's sight. And I'm sure, like me, you really want everyone who comes into this place to feel at home, to feel that they're in God's house. When I started the selection process for ordination, I was encouraged to find out about different traditions in the Church of England. And one winter's evening, Christine and I went down to St John's Church in Bathwick, which has a very high Anglo-Catholic tradition, something I was completely unfamiliar with. We arrived late. The service had started. It's a really big church. If you've not been in there, it's much bigger than this. Uh, there was a small congregation. They were up in the, in the choir stalls. So we tried to tiptoe down the aisle, um, and it's a tiled floor. And our footsteps were really noisy coming down. It's really awkward. And then a dear old lady comes out from her seat to greet us, and she whispers, you're very welcome. Come sit here. Mary will show you the right place in the book. What a welcome into a situation that I was very uncomfortable with, very different. I was made to be very welcome. So who might God be encouraging you to welcome, to accept as a sister or a brother? Perhaps someone quite different to you. All are welcome here. This table is a table of grace, not a table of condemnation. Verses 27 to 34 deal with a difficult issue. They talk about judgment, and we find that hard. Paul talks about people falling ill and even dying because he says they were eating and drinking without recognizing the body of the Lord. It's worth noting here that Paul talks about God judging us and of us judging ourselves, but he doesn't talk about us judging other people. So we need to be careful. It seems here that Paul is talking, when he speaks of the body of the Lord, he's speaking of the church as the body of Christ. And he's still referring to the way that the Corinthians were despising some in their number. And that's the setting of this he's talking about here. Verse 30 is tricky for us when he talks about some people becoming ill and even dying. We don't know. Perhaps Paul had been given some uh, prophetic insight into a spiritual link between the way the Corinthians were behaving and this illness that was affecting some of them and that was the Lord's discipline. We don't know. That's quite a big area. I'm not going to start trying to tackle that this morning. But look, we need to go very carefully when we start talking about God's judgment. We should not presume to speak for God about what may or may not be his judgment. But what we should do is what Paul encourages us to do is to examine ourselves 
It says, before we eat and drink the bread and the cup. What does he mean? His focus is about how are we treating other people? Am I mistreating? Do I have bad thoughts about other people here before I come to take communion, before I come to service with you guys? And wouldn't it be great if we were able to put some of that right? There's a wonderful description of a Lutheran church from quite some years ago where a few times a year, after confessing their sins corporately, they would then take time to go around the church and sort stuff out. And the description says that scattered around the sanctuary, in pews and standing, one even kneeling before a friend, multiple conversations were going on. I was wrong too. I hurt your feelings when I... I'm sorry, I misspoke when I... And so on. And people were saying, it's okay. I forgive you. Will you forgive me too? Let's forget about it. It's okay. It's right that we examine ourselves, particularly before communion. But we should avoid an unhealthy and excessive introspection. We should realize that we're all sinners when we come to share together. Christine had an uncle called Pat Ash, and in 1959, he astounded his congregation by putting a large sign up outside his church, which said, this church is for sinners only. And in 1959, that caused quite some, some unhappiness from some of his parishioners. But he was trying to show that as Christians, we should not consider ourselves any better than anyone else. And he wanted it to be clear that all people were welcome to come into his church. We all come to communion as sinners. We don't have to be perfect to uh, take part. The table is a table of grace, not a table of condemnation. In 1 Corinthians 11, we have the earliest reference to the celebration of the Lord's Supper. We have the earliest written record of Jesus' words. Isn't that amazing? The Gospels weren't written until sometime after this. So this is the closest we can get to the words of Jesus, written perhaps 20 years after his death. So when we read these words, we are brought wonderfully close to that time when he sat with his friends around the table. We read, don't we, that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, theologians have, have debated for years quite what does that mean? What happens when we take communion? And uh, it's way beyond me to give even a summary of some of their views. But let me just give you a few thoughts. Communion is a sacrament. This is a, a, an outward sign of an inward grace. The other sacrament recognised by the Church of England is baptism, which we're going to celebrate next Sunday. 
physical things are important in our faith. Our faith is an earthy, physical kind of faith. It's not just airy-fairy and spiritual. The two are linked. Jesus took physical things. He took bread and wine, water, and he gave them new meaning. So these physical things, the bread and the wine, connect us to the spiritual. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. In the Old Testament, remembrance is an active thing. It's a doing thing. It achieves something. When, Noah, when God made his covenant with Noah, uh, God said, I will remember my covenant between me and you. I don't think God has a bad memory. I don't think he had to say, don't worry, I will remember, honestly. He was saying, I will do something. And that word is used in the same way throughout the Old Testament. So when we take communion in remembrance of Jesus, we're not just bringing to mind a dead hero, something that happened a long time ago. But in faith, we meet him and we're fed and we're sustained by the salvation that he affected for us. The substance of the bread and the wine don't become the substance of the flesh and the blood of Christ. But nevertheless, when we take part, when we share the broken bread and the poured wine, we do share in Christ's broken body and spilt blood. Something extraordinary happens when we do this. If the characteristic belief of the Christian faith is in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, then the characteristic action is sharing communion. That unites us with Christians throughout history, across the world. And that's why in the most testing situations, even on, on people's deathbeds, taking communion is such a powerful thing, isn't it? We're unlikely to really understand all about it, and perhaps we shouldn't worry if we don't. The important thing that is in communion, by God's grace, through faith, we may meet the living Lord Jesus. So just to conclude, the main points I hope I've covered are, firstly, that all are welcome here, regardless of position, status, income, age. It was great, wasn't it? Great to have the children racing around. I don't know if you heard, one of them said, Mummy, this is such fun. <laughs> Amen, isn't that good? We want everyone who comes in here to feel valued. Secondly, to be clear that we are all sinners. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. This church is for sinners. And lastly, when we take communion, we take part in a worldwide, a history-wide event. We're part of something huge, the church of God, the body of Christ, where we take part in this marvellous mystery and are fed and sustained by Christ. So what are you going to do about it? It's a difficult question, isn't it? Are there people that you need to talk with? Do you have attitudes that prayerfully you need to examine? Do you have forgiveness to seek? As you know, we're not sharing communion this morning. 
But don't let that stop you doing what God might be calling you to do. If you'd like someone to pray with you, then there'll be, I'm sure there'll be people here happy to pray after the service with you. But don't go without dealing with whatever it is that God has for you to do. And don't forget, perhaps you'd like to say this with me, don't forget, this is a table of grace, not a table of condemnation. Amen.